All right, we are back in full effect in the Detroit is Different podcast studios. And uh, today I have back one of my favorite guests that was on the show. Uh, as he said, we did a long extended forum interview, but it, it happens like that when we have <laughs> guests that have something interesting to share into the tapestry of the culture of Detroit. And this man is someone that has added to the legacy of Detroit politics, a lot in Detroit business. And then also just if you get a chance to meet him and talk to him, you know, he's just a cool person to talk to anyway. Mr. Charlie Beckham, how you doing today good afternoon sir it's uh, good to see you yes, sir. uh it's been three years since I know. the last time i was here time flies man it doesn't seem like that it <laughs> so definitely much so doesn't seem like i got lost coming over here this time and you know <laughs> no excuse for that but uh it's good to be here man i appreciate you uh letting me take up some of your time Okay, well, uh, no, always, you know, this platform is your platform, uh, whatever you got to say, and you have a lot to say, and uh, what everything kind of connected to your one-man show, uh, you, you said, I could do a book, but then you were like, books are kind of boring, you saw what Mike Tyson did with his one-man show, yep. which was definitely entertaining, and if anybody can imagine what uh, Mike Tyson sharing any perspective of his life would be like, <laughs> that's entertaining, but then... For myself and many others, that one night, that one show where you told your life story and your life works within, I want to say in like two acts. What, was it like about 50 minutes in both acts? Uh, it, 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 well, we, we I thought we took a break. We didn't. But it was it was two and a half hours. It, it was mm. a lot longer than my team wanted it to go. But okay. uh, we were on a roll. The crowd was into it. Mm -hmm. uh, they felt it. And so my team, and they said, listen, he's got it. Just let him go. Yeah. So we did two and a half hours straight of just me talking uh, about the story of Charlie Beckham. And it was it was outstanding. We had a lot of fun. So we're coming back again with it this week. But and, in film form. Yeah. And in film form, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, just leading up to this, uh, some of the people in your team, I know, but more so just, just the team. This really encapsulizes not just some Detroit history, but some black history mm -hmm. uh, of politics in the 1980s because i think oftentimes a lot of people can can not put into perspective what amount of political influence business influence and just black leadership was right here within the city limits of detroit in 1980s yes america yes no question i mean detroit uh, has been uh since the early 70s uh, mm -hmm. the advent of coleman young uh, up to now, basically an African-American city, uh, mm -hmm. largest concentration of African-Americans in any major city. And we continue to to mm -hmm. still be that. And that brings uh, some pride among all of us, but it brings a lot of other issues along with yeah. it. Uh, and so in the 80s, during uh, Coleman's uh, third term, uh, that's when the feds decided that, well, let's investigate this guy. And so part of my story is those 10 years in the 80s where I was basically fighting the federal government for 10 years, as was Coleman Young. And so it was interesting times, times that we, uh, a lot of lessons learned that I want to share with the public. And that was the purpose of the play, Kyrie. And of course, we're, I don't have another play in me. Uh, <laughs> one man plays a lot of work. And so we decided because we did film that play, uh -huh. let's show the film. And so we've modified yeah. it a little bit shortened it a little bit but it's a film of the play and then what we're doing uh at the end of the play uh we're going to do a little q a if you mm -hmm. remember my nephew stephen henderson kind of moderated the play so he and i are going to do a little q a afterwards that uh, i think will be interesting too all right so for the people that didn't get a chance to see it uh what will they be able to witness in the film 
Well, you know, it's it's basically the story of my life, stem to stern. I mean, from where I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I understood you you had some roots in Cincinnati yes, yourself. Yes, yes. Uh, all the way to me moving to Detroit at 11 years old and all the way through Detroit, through uh, Detroit Public Schools, the University of Michigan, my time at General Motors, uh, moving into the public sector, in and out of the public sector, the private sector, uh, going through a federal investigation all the way up to present day. So it's literally a a blow-by-blow account uh, of the story of, of Charlie Beckham. And it's really broader than that because, as you say, I mean, it's really about Detroit history mm-hmm. and, and the story of one young black man and what he went through as a part of that history. Uh, and I guarantee you it, it, it'll be interesting. Um, there, there's no way for it not to be. Uh, I served six mayoral administrations. There's mm-hmm. nobody alive that can say that. Um, and so— that brings a lot of uniqueness to the story. Uh, and so it's a story of Detroit and Detroit's mm-hmm. history. And I, I think for people that uh, have questions about this and, and why it's so important, if I step in just to, to give some more context for people, your story in that arc kind of follows, like I say, a lot of black history, uh, black leadership and, and history into that Detroit's history and even American history as we think of uh, it, it's hard to imagine you know my experience with Walsh College and they talk about General Motors and in, in our last interview we even talk about it General Motors had a shadow that stood taller than most countries in the world like General Motors and the when we think of uh, the 40s through the 70s was a, 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 a Goliath no question of a of a multinational corporation. And it was the standard that all corporations measured themselves to. So from that form of leadership to connecting with uh, Detroit's most beloved mayor <laughs> and and uh, I'd say probably one of Michigan's probably most hated mayors. <laughs> <laughs> by some, by Young. some right? yes, yes. And uh, and and then that journey. And, and seeing that and witnessing it. So, like, your story is a vehicle to, like, really tell a lot of stories of what's been happening in and around black history of America for what we say post the civil rights era. Yeah, no question. I mean, you you just hit it right there with, with, with your summary, Kyrie. I mean, I, I, I was blessed because I didn't plan a lot mm-hmm. of these turns left and right. Uh, but but my career and my life's path was was interesting. I mean. Uh, you're right, Detroit Public Schools, but, but you know, after that, University of Michigan, one of the best universities in the country, the School mm-hmm. of Engineering, one of the best engineering schools coming out of that, getting into General Motors, which, as you know, during the 60s and 70s, you're absolutely right, it was the largest corporation in the world. It was much bigger than an automotive company. I mean, it's yeah. one division at Chevrolet, which I did work at for a while, was larger than the whole corporation of Ford. Uh, so it was a, a huge behemoth, but I navigated my way through that coming into city government and working for the city's first black mayor, which was just an absolute pleasure and a challenge and unique at times and uh, sometimes very hurtful at times. But but I've had very interesting stops along the way in my life's arc, to use your terms. And that's why I decided to do the play, which started out as a book, and to do the play, and now to, to show it again. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a once in a lifetime journey of of experiences of as I say one young black man in Detroit that I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned in it. And in those lessons, your brother also 
and your your brother's path too, uh, being so interconnected in what was happening in Detroit politics too. So, no question. So when, when we think about this connection of family being involved, uh, especially this time of the year, people think more about family. Uh, what was it like to go through this experience with your brother as well? And and many people looked at your brother as like, okay, that that's that was the smart one. <laughs> and no question. I mean, he, he he was the man, and of course, he was responsible, uh, along with Coleman Young, for for kind of getting me into to the public sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you know, when when Coleman first came into office in 1973, he chose uh, my brother as his first deputy mayor and chief of staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, then that's what kind of pulled me into that. But, you know, Coleman Young and my dad were good friends. You know, Coleman came out of the union movement, Mm -hmm. uh, as did my dad. My dad was, uh, UAW man, uh, was the first black administrative assistant to work for Walter Ruth. That's what brought us to Detroit in 1957. So there was family connection and family area then, which is what politics is all about, uh, particularly early black politics. You you wanted people who you knew, who you could trust, and who thought like you did. Mm-hmm. So Coleman knew my dad, therefore knew my brother. My brother then pulls me in, and that was the string that kind of got me uh, into the public sector and, and public life. And, you know, serving the public is, is, is unique and hard, and uh, a lot of lessons to be learned there. And so it's been, been a pleasure. But there was that family connection, no question about it. And, and what's so dynamic about that, because it's not just your brother, but so many others, uh, when we think of, I guess, Conrad Mallet Jr., but Conrad Mallet Sr., yes. and so many others that were interconnected through these relationships that were needed where really your character had to speak as, as tall as your resume. And in the one-man show, you even expound upon like, okay, this is where I was making mistakes. Mm-hmm. By engaging and entertaining people from outside of what this circle is, yep. people that we couldn't really go all the far, all that far back with. Yep. Um, so, you know, for for many outsiders, Detroit was a hard hard nut to crack. You yeah, know? There's no question about it. Detroit's a very uh, colloquial town. Uh, it's still that way today. Most folks don't trust people who are mm-hmm. not tried and true Detroiters. As a matter of fact, it took us. A while since, you know, I was not born and raised here in Detroit. Nobody in my family was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took us a while. It took Detroit a while to warm up for us. Uh, but my dad was kind of an, uh, an outgoing guy, strong leader, uh, moved here and, and kind of moved his way in. But that was atypical of yeah. Detroit. Most of the people we met were, were born and raised in Detroit, such as Coleman Young and some of the others. Um, and so <laughs> unique town. Uh, has always been that way, and navigating it, uh, it, it's uh, it takes some time. So uh, the the some of the highlights of the show definitely go into the FBI. Just you know it, it, what you stated is the FBI file on Coleman Young was larger than anything, oh, and that's man. from the FBI's origins of uh, you know destructing. And this is a Kari Frazier opinion that the FBI historically has has destructed black organizations and black uh, unity in movements and leadership going back to Marcus Garvey uh, on to the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King, which I believe those tapes will be released this year. (laughs) uh, Well, next year. And Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam to really. 
anybody, uh, but Coleman Young kind of took that same arc. It was almost like, okay, the Black Panthers, let's switch over right here to what this black guy connected to these unions in Detroit are. And just the amount of of agents, uh, wiretapping equipment, yep. uh, informants, just energy oh, to yeah. try to get anything yep. that was... Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, semi-nefarious connected to oh, yeah, massive resources. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the Vista situation, which is was my involvement, in which we cover in the play, uh, and it was about Coleman Young, and and of course the federal government said that in both federal court trials and put it on the record and said this case is about Coleman Alexander Young, and he mm -hmm. mentioned my name, and although I was one of those that got indicted, but 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 that wasn't the first time that the feds had really targeted Coleman Young. I mean, it goes back to the to the 40s and his union organizing days. And, you know, mm. Coleman was always a rabble-rouser and a leader and talking for the least of these. And that always interests the federal government in black leaders when they can raise up that kind of following and have that kind of power in the black community. That's almost like a, a buzzword for the feds to put a target on their back and investigate him. So Coleman Young's federal file was pretty thick before he got uh, to office he in 1973, mm. before he was the mayor, uh, mm. and certainly by the time that we were dealing with Vista. And of course, they figured, oh, we got him this time. So, you know, they wiretapped his personal home, if you recall. Um, they, they bugged his, you know, his friend, his phone, uh, Daryl and Bowers, who was a close personal friend. I mean, they get very intrusive and aggressive when they yeah. decide to come after you, and they did then. But that was not his first skirmish with it. And so I learned a lot from him as I was going through that because he'd been there before. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a frightening experience to go up against the federal government. I mean, it's no joke. They have, as you say, uh, uh, unbelievable amount of resources to come after you. Yeah. Uh, and they come after you, your friends, people associated with you. They intimidate folk. Uh, and so it's not um, it, it's no day at the beach. Yeah. But uh, Coleman was not new at it. And so what I want to do with this play, and if we get enough interest in it, we can keep doing it, is to share that experience now with some new young black leaders that are coming up. And we've got a good group of those that are coming up. We've got six new council members coming into play. Um, the feds are still sniffing around. Yeah, uh, We need to keep talking about how we navigate through that and still serve the public and the citizens of the city of Detroit at the same time. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, the I don't think the feds have left uh, investigating leadership in the city of Detroit. Uh, and this is just my speculation. I think a lot of it has to do with black leadership. That's my that's a Kari Frazier opinion. Uh, but when you when I think of, you know, um, let's see, I, I mean, most of my life. And then this also kind of takes a crack in. And it, it kind of hits the character uh, of the voting populace to make it seem as mm -hmm. though like all these people are corrupt and all of this. But yep. but some of the, the details and the nuances of the details, the context of it, you know, people miss because in yep. the headline is just That's right. official goes to jail. But the nuances of it are like. I didn't even know that was illegal. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, that's, that's illegal. Right. Like, that's yeah. right. okay, right. if you, it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, wow. It's, you it's, know? A, it, it's all by design. Uh, as I say, they have unlimited resources to, to tell their story, uh, to present their side of the story. 
certainly part of their tactics are to to sway the community a certain yeah. way because those are prospective jurors. If a situation ever gets to trial, the community at large are all prospective jurors, and you want to have their frame of mind uh, in a certain direction. And so they're, they're masters at it. Um, they're good at it. Got to give them credit. Uh, they're not always right, but they are good at it. And uh, even with it, uh, I, I think it's always been one of the toughest points of discussion that I have with a lot of uh, my friends in law enforcement and, uh, you know, uh, in in the form of law is like I say that, you know, America's built on, you know, you're guilty until proven. In, well, you're innocent until proven guilty. But to me, the whole concept, when you establish a target, you're basically saying this person's guilty. That's right. We got to find something that this person is guilty. Like, I, I don't know how to. You know, like it, it, it and that's what wrecks my brain. But then the discussion comes like, well, if you don't have things like the FBI, guys like Al Capone will just be beating the system for now until evermore. And then it's like, OK, so is that really the like, is that a flaw in the system? Like, how do you mix and match? Because by establishing a target, you we're presumptively saying they're guilty. Oh, there's, there's no question about it. And. And they know that. I mean, in my case, and, and we talked about it on the last show when I was here, we talked about it in the play. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, during the VISTA investigation, if you will, while that was going on, long before they indicted anybody, um, they ran 62 articles in the newspaper about nice. their version of what VISTA was all about. And, of course, it, of course, leans towards us targets uh, uh, being guilty. I didn't get a chance to tell my side of that story uh, until we got to the first trial. But by that time, you're almost three years into an investigation and all of these stories that are out there. So so they have a distinct advantage when they go in. So by the time we get the trial, the prospective jurors have read that I took X number of thousands of dollars from Daryl and Bowers and the Vista folks. Uh, they've heard that story 62 times before I can say, no, that's not the way that came yeah. down. And here's what really happened. So it's a, a an interesting process. I don't know how you fix that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I say you, you have to learn how to just navigate it because you're never going to have as many resources as the federal government has to fight your stuff. I mean, you, the law says you get your day in court, and I did. I mean, I went through two 16-week federal court trials. The first trial ended in a hung jury, mm-hmm. uh, and that wasn't enough for them. They came back again. Mm-hmm. Um, no new evidence. They just changed who the defendants were, took the white folks out and left only the black folks in it, mm-hmm. and then came back at us again. I mean, it was a brilliant tactic, and it worked for them the second time because then I was found guilty. So, So they have immense resources. They are good at what they do. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a pretty tough system. Uh, so you have to figure out how to, to live with it, deal with it, navigate it, uh, be cautious, be careful, uh, and be diligent. If particularly if you choose the advocation of public service. Now in that same world, uh, that, that just definitely leads us to, uh, who's in office now, new, new people in city council and everything. What you speak a little bit about the relationship with your lawyer in this position. Uh, in in from the one man show, but let's talk a little bit about expanding that. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm new and I'm in office. What type of attorney do I have 
just as counsel to for for advice on things because you know the city charter uh the city code uh it, it's people in office I, 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 we did some a series of videos and it's like wow this is this is interesting. Like, I didn't know all of this. It's, it's things you may not just be aware of where you're operating outside of the auspices of your office mm-hmm. or your position. Uh, and you just don't know. So who who do you rely on? Do you rely on the public council that's there? Do you get your own? Like, what's what should well, I do? Yeah. And, and it's tough. And, you know, good lawyers, of course, Carrie, are not cheap, as you know. You got that right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so most politicians, particularly at the city council level, don't have that kind of money, don't have that kind of money in their budget. So you're right, they have to rely on uh, the city attorney, if you will, for those things. And that's, you know, the, the, in the case of city council, if you look at city government, the, the city attorney basically works for the administration, the executive branch, not the legislative branch. Okay, so they so, so. can't do any research for you and such. And so mm-hmm. what council did some years ago, they created an office um, that, 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 that called Office of Research and Development that was always personed by an attorney. And so that's city council's attorney. And so, you know, if they're smart, they'll get somebody who's really versed in municipal law uh, with uh, a minor, if you will, in criminal law that keeps everybody advised and straight and what to do and what not to do. That hasn't happened. That's not the case. But but those are the kinds of things that we want to talk about uh, for the future leaders coming down the road to be more prepared for these things that are going on and be more uh, wise, if you will, on what you can and can't do and what you should and shouldn't do and doing things that just may be innocent in your mind, but may be viewed by somebody else as not so innocent. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I mean by, by, by being careful, being cautious. Uh, and then be focused on the, the the issue of serving the public. You know, we, we we're drifting away now, and not just at this level, but in every level of government, even the national level, of people in public service that are more interested in serving themselves than the public. And that's when you get into trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, the job of a public servant is to serve the public. Now, having said that, that's hard to do. It's one of the most difficult you difficult jobs you can take on because I tell you that the, the public is usually not very grateful for what you do. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> they complaining all the time yeah. and fussing. They never really happy, but you signed on for the job and they voted you in the office. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, they feel like they you know, have a right to say what they say. So it's a difficult job, but you have to stay focused. And if you stay focused on that in most levels of government, be it local, state, national, uh, that's going to keep you busy. You don't have time for anything else. And, and it's unique, though, uh, in that space, just because things can be alluring. The information, the people that can get access to you can be alluring. Uh, we, we often talk even about the setup. So yeah. the people that will be able to come over to the city council meeting and, and be on that uh, that 13th floor with you. I mean, just to pay for parking and, and have it. You know, it's going to be a lot of lobbyists and, and a lot of uh, preachers that are working with lobbyists and other attorneys that are working with lobbyists, business people that are working with lobbyists. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, I just opened up this brand new um, this brand new fancy restaurant. And your wife just called you yesterday and was like, I want to go to that restaurant and now this guy's sitting at you at the, at the uh at the city council table and he's like hey you, you your wife's interested in this you guys want to come down and it's like damn can i accept this gift can i not accept right. this gift right do i pay for this right uh, down to getting dinner? a free meal that's right 
That's right. I mean, so but it's, do I not pay for the steak dinner? Uh, <laughs> so, so it's a difficult spot. You, you're always in the limelight. Uh, people are, you're right, always chasing after you, mm-hmm. uh, always trying to influence what you do, which is usually your vote. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's an age-old profession. It's been around since the beginning of time. Uh, but you have folks in law enforcement in some arenas that use that mm-hmm. uh, to entrap folk, uh, to get people who are their enemies, if you will. Uh, and so that's why I say you just got to be cautious, careful, and just diligent and focused on serving the public. And, and from that same angle, uh, a lot of your role was never an elected official, but an appointee. So appointees can also get that same mm-hmm. uh, allure, in some ways, maybe even more alluring. Mm-hmm. You know, it mm-hmm. can be because it's like, hey, what you working on? What you doing? And, and you know, they'll they'll catch you outside in the hallway oh, or something. Yeah. And know? see, in city council is the legislative branch. So they're really their primary role is to write ordinances in the budget and and they approve the budget mm-hmm. they don't develop the budget yeah, they, they only approve it, approve it yes. or deny it yep and so the work of city government in Detroit which is a strong mayor form of government mm-hmm. is done in the executive branch we make mm-hmm. all the decisions you're driving the process so mm-hmm. so that power is there and so you're absolutely right so as an appointee i mean i ran almost 10 different city departments uh, so I made a lot of decisions that impacted a lot of citizens in the city of Detroit a lot of different ways. I mean, water and sewer, public lighting, recreation, neighborhoods, general services. I mean, I was touching the people of Detroit all the mm-hmm. time and had power over their quality of life. Yeah. Uh, and so, but, but to provide those services, you need vendors. Mm-hmm. And it's the vendors that put the pressure on. Oh, you got that right, because vendors deal with the uh, the lifeblood of the American economy. <laughs> and that whole procurement process. They want the contract. That's oh, right. yeah. So it's a, uh, it's an interesting game, uh, an important one. As I say, it, it literally determines the quality of life in a, in a city, a municipality, in a state, and, of course, in our country, which we see all the foolishness going on down in Washington now. Uh, and it's a, an interesting game. It's always a game of influence. Mm-hmm. Always a game of influence. So within that influence, you know, they're also going to get real life is going on during this, too. So you also give some perspective on that, too. Like, like I found it as we're wrapping this interview. I do like the fact that you gave that perspective, because sometimes, you know, you hear some of these stories and people will focus so much on like the works they're doing and I say well like you know I had a kid during this time I was married during this time my mom had to move in with us during this time you know which adds other layers to the work no question no question I mean it's a I mean all public officials are human beings mm-hmm. now sometimes the public doesn't view them as that and no. doesn't consider that but but they are that they just a regular guy and that was my point in telling the story that I was just a young brother that came to hell. I was trying to be the first black engineer at General Motors. I had no interest in being a public servant. I kind of got dragged into that. Uh, and, and so that's what I want to show is that you just never know what your path in life may do to bring you to this kind of situation that exposes you to these kinds of things. It can happen to just regular folk. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, that's all they ever want to do. They know coming out of school they want to be a mm-hmm. public so they're going to run for office and that's what they want to do and that, and, and I admire those folk but some people like myself had other aspirations but we we do have lives 
And so, you know, I talk about the three wives that I had, and I talk about being a single parent and, you know, all the pressures that that brought on. And then, you know, talk about going to prison and then coming back and Mm -hmm. having to function. And, you know, but my point is, and I think I said it earlier before we went on the air, you know, it's important that folks know that even if all that happens, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I, I have to remind folk, you know, I served six administrations. I, I was appointed by six mayors. I served five of those six as a convicted felon. Mm. So it's not the end of the world when that happens. Uh, you just have to come back and keep pushing and rely on your character and your drive and your reputation. And again, refocusing on being a good public servant. That's what it's all about. Beautiful, beautiful. So as we wrap, uh, we know that this will be coming up Thursday night at the Charles H. Wright again. Uh, The other big question that naturally is going to come, if I miss this, is this going to end up on Amazon Prime? Am I going to be able to see this someplace else? Uh, What's going to happen with it? Well, you know, with with this new technical stuff, Carrie, I don't know anything about all this stuff, but but Nina Payne and Dana Harvey, (laughs) you know both of them. They know all this stuff, man. And so we're on Facebook, Instagram. We have a website. Matter mm-hmm. of fact, it's, and they'll kill me if I don't remind this, but everybody can go to charliebeckhamfilm.com if you want to buy tickets. For those who haven't bought tickets, that's our website. You can buy tickets online. We're on all kinds of social media. So, to answer your question, I don't know specifically, but probably yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, we'll be on all of that because mm-hmm. they are up to speed with all of mm-hmm. that, and, and that's why they do it and not me. Uh, I sit back and let them do it, and as you know, they're just a great team. They helped mm-hmm. me put together uh, a very unique and fascinating story because nobody's done this. Nobody did it before then, no. three years ago, a one-man play, and nobody's done it since then, and here we're now showing a film of it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a very unique play, and so I, 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 everybody should come out if they can. I guarantee you, you'll be on the edge of your seats. Oh, definitely. And the uh, the other point about this, uh, just what have you been doing since then? We're going to wrap with that. <laughs> what have you been doing since then, three years? Um, you know, you enjoying retirement, or, or I, are you I, about to get dragged I, in to, yeah, I'm going to look up and see, like, wow, look at that, <laughs> President Biden well, and Charlie man, I, Becker. I, I'm trying to stay retired. I enjoy it. You know, I, this was almost 50 years of between General Motors and, and, and the city administration, six mayors. Uh, I retired right after the first play, and, and so it's been three years now. Um, but I'm not the person to just kind of sit around. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm active, but I'm not working. And I try to use that phrase. I mean, uh, the mayor's got me still doing stuff. I sit on five boards. Mm-hmm. Uh, three of those five, I'm either the chair or the co-chair. Yeah. Uh, I'm involved in, in other activities, and now we're doing the work to put this play on. So I stay busy, but I am officially retired. Okay. Uh, and, so on and paper, you retired. Yeah, so I'm not working 40 hours a week, but okay. I do stay busy and I keep my fingers in some different things. things do you have uh, Do you have like some mentor mentees that uh, that you mentor that are calling you for favors and, and, I, and I, advice I, and yeah, everything? I, I do have that. You know, okay. you can't get away from that. A uh, few folks just called me this week. I won't name them, but. Uh, I made the mistake uh, Monday night after the or Tuesday night after the election. Uh, I let the mayor drag me up on the stage when he was doing his <laughs> his speech, and somebody said, "Charlie, I saw you on TV, man." Uh-huh. And so next thing you know, they're calling, and you know, don't once they know I'm still in the mix, and mm-hmm. so it happens. But I enjoy it. I don't begrudge that. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, if I can help, like I say, the next group of black leaders coming through Detroit, 
I'll do what I can uh, to, to do that. And so that's why I sit on these boards uh, and I take just about anybody's call if they get my number. Okay. Uh, I take it and we meet and if I can help, I will. That works. That works. So if you know, if you got the access, but definitely go see the film. Uh, and if you could get the access, you know, pick his brain because it's probably if it's any question, if he doesn't know the answer in reference to Detroit politics, he definitely can lead you in a direction to to know someone that does. So thank you so much. Thank you, sir. It's been a, a, a pleasure again. Definitely. <laughs> Good to see you. Yes. Thanks much, man.